Hello everybody, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today we're gonna to walk you through the latest edition of our Natural Wine Club. Uh, we're very fortunate today because we have a guest in the studio. Uh, I'll have you introduce yourself and let us know what you do. Hi, Eric. Uh, great <laughs> intro, very professional, by the way. Um, my name is Keo. I run an event company called Sugar Water. Uh, just planning, hosting events in Calgary. Lucky this year, we've been able to do some stuff in BC. Have some done some stuff in the US as well. But uh, just just the Calgary event guy. I think I think I'm kind of niche now. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we'll dive into sort of all the other facets of your life in the uh, you know as we get through this conversation. But I'll introduce the first wine that we're we're drinking first. Um, this one's wine club is really unique in the sense that it's all red wines. We've never done this before. Um, the first wine that we're going to taste in previous vintages, it's been way more on the rosé side. So I thought we were going to do like a rosé and two red wines. And then we tasted this vintage and we're like, this is definitely a red wine as far as I'm concerned. So fuck it. We're doing four red wines. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, this is by a brand new producer to our portfolio. So you're going to be amongst the very first people to taste this wine. Um, we've only sold one case in Alberta so far since it uh, arrived a very short period of time ago. And so... Uh, this is like literally brand new to everybody. This is our friend uh, Thibaut Capillaro. Um, he is from the Northern Rhone, which is, I think, like maybe the most exciting wine region in the entire world. Um, super steep slopes here. Uh, his vineyard that he planted in Cote Roti is like more than a 45% grade. Uh, it is like almost impossible to farm. Uh, you have like this tractor kind of device that's on a winch in order to get like up and down essentially. Uh, he actually had to build his own retaining walls out of stone in order to stop the vineyard from essentially eroding, like rolling downhill. <laughs> uh, and he's like 30 years old. Like he's super young and to be I don't know, this deep into it. He showed me before and after pictures of this vineyard in Cote Roti, and it was like literally just a forest, like on a severe slope. And then afterwards, it's like a functional vineyard that he planted. Um, this is coming from just south of his hometown, which is Condrieu, which is one of the most famous regions in, in the entire Northern Rhone. Uh, and this is a blend of 70% Syrah and 30% Viognier. So a very traditional blend for this area. 70% um, red grapes being Syrah, 30% white grapes being um, Viognier. Um, all organically farmed, no additives, so not even sulfur added to this wine. This is like raw, true, honest version of uh, Syrah and Viognier from, from the Northern Rhone. Uh, and a beautiful bottle, too. I, I love the packaging. True. Uh, yeah, absolutely nails it. Zero, so, zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Cheers. Man. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming. Oh, man, the nose already is just so bright. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes. Yeah, absolutely electric. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, Tebow's super nice dude, too. Picked me up from the train station when I got into... Uh, into the Rhone. So you did visit him. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I visited him uh, this spring. Um, did a ton of research before I went to the Rhone and, and discovered him as, like, maybe a potential kind of young gun that nobody's ever heard of before. Yeah. And uh, he only has a handful of vintages under his belt, but is already producing some of the most exciting wines in, in the Rhone, I would say. So sure. his family of wine winemakers? No. Ironically, oh. he grew up in this region and was not from a wine-growing family. Oh, wow. So he owns like owned no vineyards when he started. So he's already starting at a disadvantage compared yeah. to, to most French winemakers, yeah, which is 100%. weird. But wow, um, it is bright. It is yeah. like it is electric. It is super zippy. 
Totally. My favorite thing about the Northern Rhone is that you get this intensity of flavor, but then this freshness, um, you know, spice, umami, savoriness, but then also all these really kind of crispy, crunchy fruits. Um, this is planted on uh, granite and clay. Um, so really cool combination of, of soils. You get a little bit more voluptuousness from the clay, uh, a little bit more, you know, tense kind of tactile qualities from the, from the granite. This would be a really, you know, it, it's, it drinks so well at room temp, but like, you know, you, you chill it a little bit too. I mm-hmm. feel like it's like, it's, it's got the brightness that could hold up to it almost yeah. like kind of smooth out the finish a little bit, but it's, yeah, it was actually more awesome. chilled at the start of the day. And then, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, we've spent the last, uh, you know, hour and a half making cocktails. <laughs> and so uh, it, it means that this wine that was once uh, fridge temperature has now warmed to, you room know, temp. Yeah, yeah, barely below room temp yeah, at this point. But, um, all right. Okay. So digressing to the Keo story. Um, so I guess like if we, if we go to the, the, to, to the original days, your family owns a restaurant, correct? Yeah. So, you know, it's called You and I often mistaken for you and me which sometimes I, you know that would have been a great family business to have as well <laughs> totally uh but it's just a little cafe in the shell building in downtown my mom started when she was 20 like in, in 78 it's in the plus 15 which you know for calgary folk people know the plus 15 real well mm-hmm. um i used to busk in the plus 15s yeah all wow. the time when i was a kid yeah that's crazy i had yeah. no idea that you did that or that oh, you're yeah. into music like that oh, i do yeah. see a guitar in your place right now so <laughs> That's amazing, but yeah, I grew up in the plus 15, grew up in kind of this small business world where we're doing catering and doing baking and food and service and stuff, so this came came by doing events, and I, I kind of never wanted to do service, I never wanted to run, you know, like when you're growing up, you want to do the opposite of it, but it just, I, I loved it, I loved connecting with people, I loved the shared experience of, you know, food, beverage, all of it, just these discussions around you know, the nerdiness of it too for people who really do love it and do appreciate, you know, where things come from and, you know, the future of uh, production and, you know, the craft of it, the history of it. I think it's all really special. So, yeah, it kind of came by it honestly, but it's, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. So, so origins of you getting into food is essentially that, your, your family being into it, running restaurants, and then... I, I vaguely remember you saying that, and, and maybe this is still the case, uh, there's like a coffee component to your, uh, you know, yeah. world of, of... A food and bev? Yeah. yeah. Coffee was the first love because, you know, think of like, you know, when I was a kid, we were in a cafe, so, but we were getting these coffees from Indonesia, from, uh, from South America, from Africa. It's like yeah. kind of like a very eye-opening experience and coffee's like you know i said even even for you know they didn't let me drink it i'd have to like sneak it away but it's it's such a sensory explosion not just Mm -hmm. the caffeine but you know all these little different things about coffee itself so i fell in love with the idea of coffee and and coffee very similar to wine there's so many similar elements to it now vintage Mm -hmm. terroir you can find all those things now in coffee single origin stuff that i just i think is really is what I love about food. It's what I love about what I do is the people who produce these things. So, um, yeah. And then, so I got into coffee trading. I was trading coffee. I was working in South America, trading it around the world and, um, did that for four or five years. 
and that was kind of you know the coffee that was the transition into you know wines and night and spirits mm-hmm. and cocktails and they're pretty synonymous and still and you know things like tea now everything there's it's it's such a there's so much potentiality or it it's like this is kind of the peak that's ever been all that potential is like kind of i feel like we're in the golden age of yeah. like what like single wine food beverages yeah the knowledge around it the access to the places we could travel like reaching out to these guys that you know it's pretty incredible like to find small producers and just like hey i think you're awesome like can we connect can i totally. buy your stuff like yeah it's really cool so. i think it's that sort of like new global obsession with somewhereness yeah. is like the way that i think about it is like yeah, uh, when certain products taste like they could only come from one place in the world where some of their base character as an ingredient or as a finished product uh has to do with where it came from and the unique set of circumstances that like led to its existence uh-huh. versus like other things like you could set up a coca-cola factory on literally any square kilometer of planet earth yeah and it would come out tasting like coca-cola versus if you're like you know raising sheep that are going to make a particular type of cheese yeah. like any square kilometer on planet earth that you you raise these sheep is going to yield different milk that will then create different cheese and therefore like it's the somewhereness of that cheese that's exciting mm-hmm. and it's like we because of the commodification of goods post world war 2 i think that it's kind of like only become cool to think about this again within the last little bit with this like weird swing and again i i hate to give the hipsters credit for this, but for this obsession with like small production, with this obsession with artisanal, with this obsession of getting back to the land, doing things in really non-economically viable ways <laughs> that result in, in high quality and in uh, sort of maximum uniqueness, I suppose. So That's a, That is a great, that is a great uh, idea. That's a great hypothesis you just presented. Because I agree. It's like, I think that's also, you know, this idea of finding yourself, you know, it's like more than ever, I think with our generation, that's so prevalent. There's, it's just the connection to other, which I think is actually, you know, we could probably get into this in a much deeper way, but you know, with the internet and everything else, it is, you're trying to find your tribe in a very, in a time where it's, it probably feels more daunting and overwhelming than ever to really just like hone in in something simple. So you know, for me, just bringing back to what we do or what I do is just there's a beautiful simplicity in a single ingredient, the somethingness of that ingredient, how it came to be, you know, so much of that idea, I think, spans also like our the personal experience of like, you know, you know, where, you know, my for me, I'm, I'm a first generation in Canada, kind of our immigrant parents from Korea. And that idea of something is that, like, you know, the varietal, the Korean varietal that my mom and dad represent totally. coming to Canada, it created something totally different that no Korean would ever recognize <laughs> uh, other than unless they looked at me. Even when they looked at me now, I have kind of a mullet at this point and some good facial hair. So, uh, yeah, but I, I love I love that idea. That's 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 very much what, you know, the hipsterness is probably true between you and me i think yeah you, you more than me i'd like to think but people kind of view me as a hipster too but um 
yeah, I think that speaks to both. It sounds like both of us and what we really love about what we do. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, it could be a deep flaw that we're trying to like f- avoid that we're trying to fill. <laughs> honestly, but it's oh, it's, it's very it's it works really well. Oh yeah, <laughs> I am for sure compensating for <laughs> all my uh, you know all the things that I lack. I, I, I try to make up for it via you know knowledge about wine, which is important. Yeah, it's yeah. just it weirdly doesn't doesn't fill the cup uh you know <laughs> that's good enough I'm, yeah. I'm happy i'm happy yeah. i'm really happy where we're at right now and, totally um and, and i'm grateful you know it's i think that's that's the perspective to take it's we're all very lucky to be here if yeah. you're listening to a podcast you're pretty lucky i think yeah, that's like that's a, that's a level of uh access and wealth mm-hmm. um okay so again starting with family business sort of cafe style uh, then moving to, again, like sourcing coffee, dealing coffee. Uh, and then where does booze kind of fit in with this? Because oh, yeah. I think I think most people would think of you as, as somebody who curates delicious beverages. And so, mm-hmm. like, at what point did that start becoming interesting? And then how did you go about pursuing that? Well, it's so funny, right? When you're in a cafe, it's, it's all majority is beverages and similar to food you know you're crafting something delicious whether you're you know whether it's using an espresso machine syrups whatever I was always kind of you know funny enough coffee and what Starbucks brought to the world I love it or hate it it's this the specialty coffee kind of like the cocktailization of coffee and tea products and it's so prevalent now which is awesome actually it's very it's so creative so Props to Starbucks, I guess. Never thought I'd ever say that. But um, <laughs> when I think about it, yeah, that's kind of where it stems from. And I guess alcohol for me is just, it, it, it really, it's no different than coffee and tea. They're both stimulants in a sense, you know, like where you caffeine or alcohol, there's, they have this role and they had this really fascinating role in probably our development as like human beings if you want to even go there like there's such rich histories of it whether coffee is medicine and stimulants uh, to like get shit done or to like in times of intellectual times for people to kind of connect and be stimulated and discuss Um, and then same with alcohol where it was like medicine and then similar to celebrate like it, it brings you to these places that has such a rich history so Maybe that just speaks to also my nature and my person, but that was that never left. So even when I got into the sourcing of coffee, the thing that brought me the most joy was, of course, the ethics of it. Like similar to what you were doing, I was looking for smallholder farmers doing organic farming, helping them get access to markets, um, working with almost you know exclusively with indigenous producers in you know southern Mexico, Guatemala, Colombia, and then. My the the aspect that never left me was the fact that anytime I travel, I would search out for a restaurant or a bar, and I would spend way too much money because I I was working so hard, and plus you're in third world countries pretty much. Or when you go to these shows in like Seattle or Baltimore, or, you know, um, Las Vegas or wherever, it's like it was kind of my time to indulge, and so that love of tasting and the value that I put on it, I think is very sometimes for some people it's like very shocking because a lot of people view food as kind of the lowest common denominator where you get the best savings and you're spending the least amount of money and hence like costco and all these places proliferating so much but for me it was kind of the opposite where i would my when i did do my budget like what do i value like and what do i you know 
even these businesses I started, I used to think were kind of like these excuses for me just to eat and drink better and to have yeah. access to better like food and drink. Totally. So that never left. And then so how it turned into booze was it never, I don't think it ever was never not, you know, it was just always part of it, whether I was drinking coffee or tea. And then as I got old enough to like be interested in wine and like, I was always curious about it because my foundation of it was this curiosity of, of place like these wild places that these this thing came from mm-hmm. um and then so it always became a part of it and really Sherwater actually stemmed from um old friends of mine and they were actually the founders of something called time and place which was a pop-up at market collective like eight nine years ago wow. it was the first like an angel who's a good friend of mine also but also a good friend of justin and jordan brown um who are the original founders um, but they did time and place and I was at the first time and place pop-up because I was so involved in Market Collective. But I had just like, I, to them I'm sure, and I think I discussed it with Jordan and Justin a little bit, but to them I'm sure it was like, I was like just more into it than anyone else there. And I'm also, I was always <laughs> this type of guy who's like, I was like, I'm ready to like, just like, hey, you guys need some help? Or like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I always kind of put myself out there. I'm like, yeah, whatever you guys need, just let me know. And they're like, well, actually, I think we could use your help. And then I just kept showing up. I was just super into it. And I'm like, it was joyful for me because it was something that I love to do on my own time. But, you know, like 10 years ago, eight, eight to 10 years ago, it was kind of hard to find people that actually were that into it. You know, mm-hmm. that like it was like cocktails and cocktail bars and wine bars were still new to Calgary. Like the, the restaurant scene was still pretty nascent people's and like beverage knowledge i would say is still pretty nascent yeah well, like what was the cocktail bar back then i guess milk tiger yeah was that, was it was in the milk tiger but I, I it was not something that was familiar in my world i just yeah. like you know I, I only learned of milk tiger probably like much later mm. um probably it was after for sure when nathan who was one of the founders that i that i'm yeah. aware of that after proof had already started so oh, wow. it was still nascent yeah. to me it was my knowledge mainly came from books the internet and just messing around at home and messing around with the these new friends who shared this similarity and i was just like i was like oh god you guys also are like as nerdy like people who know justin brown and jordan brown they're so smart they're like and they're just so knowledgeable so it was just like we just connected super hard on it and if the early days of sure was essentially us playing board games going to each other's houses and getting <laughs> drunk and testing weird spirits and just getting so geeky like over the top geeky finding new books talking about new books like kind of presenting new ideas to each other and that's the the i think that's what we're trying to do with like with juice imports as well as for me is like it's this like kind of this thing that i'm just we're just so into unnecessarily so probably detrimental to a lot of things but (laughs) also very joyful at its core but we don't think it to go there but yeah that's kind of that's kind of what sugar water is to me if I'm to think of it in the, its most kind of pure and what it, what it used to be, almost childlike yeah. memory of. So and what, now, was, what was the first pop-up that you were like part of then as sugar water? Oh, it was it was Mark Collective. Because yeah. it, was, it only started as Mark Collective. Yeah. Before, it was just kind of nerdy guys kind of getting together on our own time, yeah. playing board games and drinking. And then after that, it was doing Market Collective because they were very consistent at the time. Every mm-hmm. six weeks... There's a new Mark Collective, like the first and probably the most uh, profound, like 
art market that like spawned businesses made by Marcus started there. They used to make macarons. They didn't even make oh, ice yeah. cream. Uh, plant, plant. Kyle from Plant yeah. used to do uh, like just uh, he was he was working yeah, some terrariums. Areas. He was doing little was terrarium workshops. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, camp brand goods started. Like there's just so many. It's it was I, and they're good friends. Market Collective does not get enough credit. Totally. They're like part of the Calgary lore. I oh would my say. God, and I can't believe yeah. it's just like Angel and Angela. They kind of you know. They don't they, they don't get enough of the credit, but it also speaks to them as people that they're not like searching for the spotlight, you know. Like Angela's like Angel just recently sold it, and Angela's moved out to you know save her. I can't remember one of the islands on BC to raise her family. So yeah, but it, yeah, that was and on sugar water. We like the only Angel during the, one of our one of her house shows. She used to put on these house shows, and she asked. Uh, Justin Jordan because they loved cocktails so much to come to Mark Collective and they only did Mark Collective because they were going to school they had their own careers but it was this one thing and and we just kept coming back wanting to make that one thing better and of course from that stems people just enjoying their time having a, the, their first cocktail experiences I, we had so many firsts at the at totally. our cock, quote unquote cocktail bar yeah. and that was so joyful as well and then it's just people like, hey, can you do my party? Can you do my office thing? Can you do my, yeah. like, we, the, the, and what I love now, what it has evolved to is I've always just kept the love of creation and spirits. There's so much creativity. I feel like that's just like the, the potentiality is what always mm-hmm. gets me. And then it's mostly now what I truly love is the, the hosting, the intimacy, the connecting mm-hmm. of people is like kind of what I view now. What Shudawar does is more like events. It's less about the cocktails and beverages. It's more about connecting, you know, you like say juice imports and the wines you bring and the story it brings and sharing the things that I love, leaning more into things that I love than just trying to serve things that will make us money or that are kind of like hip and cool at the time totally just like things like how can i add the my little weird quirks of my own values into what i do and by hiring the certain people that i do there's so many amazing human beings artists and just like such a variety of people funny enough mostly women but you know they're just more i've, I've learned that they're just more dependable better hosts and things. Just, <laughs> they're just the better of us you know but um, we have such amazing staff and I've gotten to work with so many amazing people and part of also the joy of sorry uh, Eric's pouring the next one I gotta chug my no, first that's, one that's but, okay you can take your time but it's that actually that's secondarily that community of the people that I get to work with is actually the biggest part like I've met, met so many amazing people met so many amazing businesses like I'm just I feel so blessed like, I've gotten to travel with sugar water I've got to work with people that it, like in retrospect I'm like wow that was actually big that was actually cool and when, when people tell me about it it's like that was big that was cool I'm like well that's just kind of the, the norm now but it's um, I love that That it's the people connection thing that's always the biggest yeah oh I 100% agree and I think you do a a great job of that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a, it's not of the norm. I feel like I'm, I present myself in a way that is not, uh, typical. Hmm. I don't know what, I don't know how you view it, but in the way I approach business or in the way I approach like my staff or it's like, that's not, it's not very businessy. 
I would say. Hey, that's fair. I feel like we've done the same thing to a greater or lesser degree in the sense that it was about accomplishing a vision first and just, uh, I don't think it was like on a, on a, like a wing and a prayer or anything like that. Like we, we knew people wanted the thing that we were going to curate. Uh, so I, I don't think it was that, but we were also like, could we make more money doing something else? Yes, but we, <laughs> but we don't want to do that thing. So can we just do the thing that we truly believe in? Not, uh, you know, like <laughs> not compromise in any way and yet still like make money. And that's kind of where we ended up with, with juice where we're like, cool, we've, we've not compromised yet somehow it has remained successful could we be making more money again like always. you said literally always yeah <laughs> uh, but instead we were like cool we managed to do the thing that we wanted um, yeah which is i think we i think we like we wouldn't have started it if we didn't think we could do it i suppose yeah in um, a sustainable way yeah like, absolutely but what is sustainable to you and to other people is mm-hmm. so different it's i agree i was like can i live comfortably can I do, can I like do the things I want without like, yeah, we're doing a little happy dance. This next one is fire. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the, can we do the, th- can I do the, can I get enough of the things that I want with what, by doing, you know, what I love? Mm-hmm. That's kind of, that's always going to be for everybody, everyone's values. And maybe it's different times in life. And, you know, I've, I've done this too, or, you know, different issues where you're like, maybe sometimes you, you're a little more desperate. Okay. It's, yeah. it's like, so you might have to do something different, but yeah. ultimately, can I do this thing that I love more? Can I do more of it and still make a good living and yeah. still be happy? I don't need to be rich. I don't need fancy anything. I like, <laughs> totally. As long as I can eventually travel, which I haven't done in a long time, but I will. Um, <laughs> but as long as I can meet new people, have these experiences that really bring me joy, then fuck yeah. There's no, yeah. There's nothing else I'd rather do. Totally. Yeah. All right. So digressing to the wine here. Quickly. I know. We better. I'll, I'll talk about yeah. the. I feel bad for your, your uh, no, Absolutely. This is this is how it goes <laughs> okay, every good, time. Good, good. Uh, so next up, this is like literally, probably the most quintessential Loire Valley natural wine on planet Earth. Um, we feel very honored to be able to represent uh, Pierre and Catherine Breton. Um, they are like literally the rock stars of the Loire Valley and uh, essentially making like the most sought after Cabernet Francs um, on the planet with one exception, which is uh, Rougeard, which those wines sell for 400 euros a bottle now. Uh, so considering this is like the second most sought after Cabernet Franc on, on planet Earth from a producer perspective, and they sell for... Uh, literally a hundred times like less money or 10 times less money sorry yeah like this this wine retails for like 35 dollars and it is hard bonkers like it is so good so pierre and catherine breton um they have been farming uh biodynamically essentially since the early 90s um they weren't certified until a little bit later uh they kind of did it under the radar for a period of time but they've been farming organically at least since uh you know the the start of the 90s um similar to last month when we were talking about um domaine de la guerrelliere uh, farming uh, biodynamically since 1991, certified since 1993. They were doing it at essentially the same time, but in a more famous region. So this is in Bourget. Um, Bourget considered one of the top two Appalachians 
uh, in France for growing Cabernet Franc. Um, the other being Chinon, which is essentially yeah, right across Chinon. the river. Love yeah, Chinon. exactly. Chinon this is what I know of more. Yeah, of, but. yeah. So this is like a stone's throw from Chinon, mm-hmm. um, and they do a bunch of different single vineyard versions of Bourget and Chinon, uh, as well as this, which is like from their younger vines. Uh, this one, uh, Trink. Uh, great name for a wine. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Uh, ch- cheers in, in German. Uh, I'm not sure why they decided on German, but either way, it, it makes sense. Um, and yeah, just like such a force to be reckoned with. Uh, they are, you know, their whole family now because their their daughter has taken over a lot of the winemaking. Their son has taken over a lot as well, too. Um, and so now they're, you know, multi-generational. Um, Catherine, even though, you know, sh- she calls her side project uh, la dilettante, uh, which means like the dabbler because she's like, Oh no, no. Like my husband's the winemaker, but seriously, she makes wines that are just as good as Pierre's. They're just like more playful, um, maybe a little less age worthy, more for like young, early consumption. Um, but honestly, everybody in their family is just so ridiculously gifted with the ability to turn grapes into something that's just like pure magic to importable Um, juice. Damn. Yeah, absolutely. And so this wine was imported by uh, Metrovino for a decade, probably, maybe even longer than that. Um, but essentially what happened is that, you know, like every other wine on planet Earth, the prices crept up over the course of 10 years. And when you used to sell this bottle of wine to somebody for, you know, $20 and it's now $35 10 years later, uh, even though that's a normal amount of wine or, uh, of money for the wine to increase in price, especially considering the quality increases over that you know decade, uh, they were like it's hard for those consumers to continue paying increased prices, and therefore you know we don't necessarily like see the value in it. So they brought in another Cap Franc producer that sells for the exact same price that this currently sells for. Yeah, Chino. I've, yeah. I've had that. Yeah, one. it's and also it's the, spectacular. Exactly, it's also spectacular. It's the exact same price as this, but people buy it because they're not used to spending less money on it ten years ago. True. So it's a way easier sell. Uh, again, I'm probably putting words in their mouth when I'm saying that, but that's that's my understanding from having conversations with them. We ask them like, "Hey, so we noticed that we, these aren't on your shelf anymore. It, would it be inappropriate for us to to reach out and talk to them?" And then in March, when we were in France, um, we got to meet them. Actually, Laurent Cazot, uh, the spirits producer that we were just tasting with, he's like really good friends with them because even though Pierre is, gosh, I want to say he's like maybe in his early seventies now. Uh, he's like buds with Laurent, and uh, and so Laurent's like maybe four, like early forties, mid forties. Cool, recognized cool man. Totally. <laughs> and they're just buds, and he's like, oh, like have you met my friend, uh, like uh, Pierre Breton? And I was like, uh, this is literally one of my idols. Wow. And he introduced me, and I was like, I was just bumbling in French because <laughs> my French is already not very good, and I was just so embarrassed to meet like such an important figure in the in the natural wine world. Anyways, we tasted through their entire lineup and we're just like jaws on the floor. Then, you know, again, we had talked to, to Al at, uh, at Metro about, um, you know, you're not working with them anymore. Would it be okay if, if we worked with them? And they're, you know, we're like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, we're, you we're not concerned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, now we just feel like incredibly honored to sort of carry on the tradition of them being available in Alberta. Uh, quintessential Cap Franc. Like, it is, but it's like... There is a lactic quality in the best way, like kind of a, the creaminess on the back of my palate. And it's something that I don't really know, normally associate 
really well with like kind of the vegetal quality of a good cab franc that I mm-hmm. get, but it's like yeah, the softness that comes with it too. This yeah. is a rich, it's a soft, creamy kind of unctuousness that's very. And it's good. only twelve and a half percent alcohol. Yeah, so it has like is... all that softness and that intensity of flavor with twelve and a half percent. Yeah, alcohol. people are gonna love this. People are gonna fucking. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some. Oh of this. yeah, yeah. They, I uh, think for an, like an event, I think. I, I, I just poured this for uh, the crew at um, uh, Pat and Betty. And they're immediately just like, this is going on the list tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. They're oh, like, okay. yep. Yeah, I could see so, that. So, yeah, they're, they were Great keen. story, too. Um, yeah. I'm a sucker for, yeah. I think that we also connect on this biodynamic. We're a couple of hippie hipsters at heart. Yeah. You know, trying to do better. Trying to, you know, not feel too guilty about living on this planet, eating and for drinking sure. like assholes. But Yeah, you know, exactly. As long as it's biodynamic. All right, so digressing. The thing that I wrote down on my phone like while you were talking okay. was what was on those original uh, menus at Market Club? Oh, man. What were, were like, some... what were the cocktails that you were excited about, you know, oh. like what was this, eight, eight, eight years ago? Eight, years ago? Yeah. Like, what were the what cocktails were the that you were excited like, about? The OG PDT was like kind of high on our list of mm. like reference books for those who – you know, who are, who are familiar with some of the cocktail literature. Of course, like Death & Co., early Death & Co., that first Death & Co. book, still like an amazing like coffee book. If anyone loves like, Death & Co. is just a bar in New York that's been like doing it amazing. For, shout, shout out Sam Kasuga. Yeah, shout out Kasuga, <laughs> exactly. Like, a, so if, uh, like she used to be the bar manager in Native Tongues, like just like an absolute amazing legend. Yeah, totally. Like she was, a, she's such a pioneer and just decided to go to New York and as absolutely killing it now and yeah. doing so amazing. And just honestly, one of the sweetest, most genuine people also. And oh, I think sure. that's what I love about Calgary's industry is there's a lot of just good, just down to earth people. I just like, I'm just always blown away by these like just super gracious uh, industry people in our city. We have some of the best. I'm just like, uh, I, I like, and for someone who's traveled a lot and like been to a lot of places, eaten out at a lot of places maybe we don't we might not have the best knowledge I don't like and that's just so you know there's no way to truly judge that but the quality of people is just phenomenal Calgary just that's what I that's why I came back to Calgary I I moved away I thought I'd live I wanted to move away of course I think everyone wants to move away when they're young but moved away lived away for so many years and just came back and I I don't plan to really leave I always plan on having some home in Calgary but yeah um, I digress. What was your question even? I kind of uh, what, 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 were the, what were the first, first cocktails, cocktails on that list? Oh, man. It's just like very, like for sure, you know, I think for us was and still lead, still kind of um, informs my, our ethos at Sugar Water today when I'm making cocktails is just classics. We just want, like, especially early on, especially when our buddy Jordan um, so there was a Jordan Brown. There were two brothers, two awesome brothers, Jordan Brown, Justin Brown, and then uh, Jordan Schroeder, a good friend, mm. and uh, still kind of and still in the Calgary scene. And um, when he came on, it was a lot of classics, a lot of like you know things like Vieux Carré, Trident, having a variation of the Martini, things like um, Jack Rose, which is like you know a Calvados brandy cocktail, but totally. like. Um, Corpse Revivers, which are delicious and like yeah. um, also uh, on my top five. Yeah, just like like those were what we brought. We always brought some classic, and then we'd always do variations of. There's always a playful nature. Like some of the original things that we were doing was 
making your own syrups, like mm. like making your own cola syrup, which was incredibly like we go to Silk Road. It was so unaffordable. Like it, oh, the yeah. costs were so exorbitant, but we were just so nerdy about making sure that it was the best. And there's like a like twenty different ingredients into like what makes cola, and like Justin and Jordan more than myself are just so nerdy about it. So they would like they would do the research and like look for old cola recipes, and we source like cola nut and like just like the craziest things. And so we used to do this. It was it was called not a rum and coke. Man, I haven't thought about this in so long. But it was like a our own rum cola uh, or our own cola syrup with like a really nice white rum. Um, I can't remember what we would use at the time. Florida Candy was still on the market. When Plantation came out, that was by far like at the price point Plantation White Rum. Yeah. The three star was like our go-to. Um, and then like lime juice, mint, cola syrup, just essentially like a daiquiri topped with a little bit of a touch of soda, but a cola yeah. daiquiri. Um, so variations of daiquiri were always super easy because totally. we just made a fun syrup as three ingredients, rum, uh, simple syrup, lime juice, like things like that was what informed the early days. And then it always had a story or a tie to a classic. Yeah. So that was kind of our playbook. There was something called an auntie's garden tonic. We used to do fresh, cu- uh, fresh cucumber juice, um, a gin, um, lemon juice, tonic we made our own tonic syrup a lot of the things was like are making our own like you know even like instead of getting a tonic water we make our own tonic syrup we could then we could control the amount of quinine we'd be sourcing like big bags of uh um, cinchona bark and it was it was it was really fun it was really cool and it it still informs today like i think people who know who have been to shinoir events or have listened to myself talk to them about our cocktails and so much of it is like you know what we're trying to do is like Simple cocktails, three to four touches, classics like margaritas or whatever else, uh, like daiquiris or you know sours. They're they're all there's only like eight ingredients. There's only eight cocktails that really inform like ninety nine percent of cocktails around the world. <laughs> and so when I was making even with you today, Eric, like when we were making our cocktails, these are all based off just classic just proportions. You know, there's only so many ways you can go yeah. with the same amount of. Yeah, the first one is essentially a, a Negroni. Negroni. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the second one is a play on uh, like kind an of Manhattan, fa- yeah, Manhattan old fashioned. Yeah, and totally something in that kind of in that realm and yeah. just kind of in between. So you just kind of play in those margins, you just play. But uh, yeah, it was just classics, and yeah. So people who like no, we're just we make we try to make interesting syrups, kind of culinarily driven things that we could kind of add spice and. Um, acidity to use a lot of citric malic acid in ours uh, a lot of salt like salt is i think you know next time you guys make an old-fashioned or make anything even the sweet put some salt on it it's gonna be a game changer i put literally salt in all of our cocktails and i tell people this it's not a secret or surprise um and then yeah so it's just like making fun syrups that are seasonal with good ingredients that kind of drive even today bringing like a local honey and organic cane sugar syrup that's kind of our baseline. So even our base syrup, I, I never use simple syrup. I'm just like, I'm yeah. so against like white sugar, white syrup, like, totally. you know, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a potential for more flavor. Yeah. It's just like, like it, it just adds a more little complexity, complexity. base layers or yeah. minerality, whatever it is. It's just yeah. like, a, you know, and, and it's real. I just want things that are real and it's like, I don't want it. I, and similar to kind of, I guess our ethos and, you know, 
how we choose producers or how we do our thing it's like yeah like I, I want to bring it back to like a connection to myself and how I view the world so it's a little thing you know I'm talking about now I don't really I don't blabber this much when I'm at events but we have this like <laughs> wicked yuzu oleo so it uses a great yuzu um a yuzu concentrate that we you know it's expensive but it's like one of the best that we can get and people and yuzu is hot right now yeah for those people know you probably see Absolutely. yuzu and everything it's so hot right now totally and then an oleo which is essentially we take all the old peels from because we we prep everything so we can make our drinks as quickly as possible and we batch everything but all the peels that are left over all the citrus that we juice we peel them first so we don't waste that peel because that's where all the flavor of citrus comes from those oils is what makes it great mm -hmm. so an oleo is essentially you just like dump a bunch of sugar on peels of citrus fruit and it you leave it overnight it draws out all the oils it draws out the most rich kind of like the sit essence essence of citrus so that's kind of what our oleo is like and uh, so we do things like that and, and we'd make them in massive batches and it just makes our drinks way more interesting than if we were to use simple syrup that is kind of that is kind of our ethos from you know early days of sugar water where we're doing some crazy stuff like making fun funky syrups but that is still carries to today mm -hmm. for sure the thing about early sugar water was we did wait we put way too many things on the menu for just like running a bar for one day or two days like yeah it was way too ambitious we used to like you know we even built a pergola like like there's some early photos of sugar water we built a, a pergola system which is essentially something like a, a wooden structure you might have out in your lawn forever but we would take put it up and take it down we did designed it in a way with cedar that was 10 by 10 it would like replace our 10 by 10 tent at, at market collective we were doing crazy shit because we were so into it we we're so excited we we're so nerdy yeah we'd like come like one day early to set up our beautiful wooden cedar pergola and like had our beautiful wooden bars and like just like but I think that's like carried to how we do it today. We do it a little bit more efficiently than we used to, but for sure, still we go over the top. We bring our plants. We bring. We try to create like you know, if as if you know, a lot of the time we're in people's homes and offices where they're so familiar with. Mm -hmm. so we bring our bars and we try to set up set them up in a beautiful way where it feels like you're. A, there's something new a bar an actual bar at your home yeah you're trying to make something that looks intentional and permanent in a place where it is not 100 percent. yeah and we're and and i found like do going the extra mile for it it's probably why we're still doing it today and why we're still doing yeah. it now yeah yeah so no, absolutely yeah. um yeah okay i have like a thousand questions but i'm gonna try and Try and try and organize it in a way that makes sense with the wines that we're tasting. And, and okay, cool. You know, I like it. Yeah, like exactly. It. Break it down. Um, okay, so when it comes to efficiency, this is one of the things that is like really interesting to me. Is that you a do like parties for like you know twenty lawyers that want to drink like really good cocktails that are yeah. like fucking balling out, drinking really good champagne, drinking drinking you know top notch like top shelf bourbon in cocktails like you, you curate that but then you also are able to deliver deliver like 99% the same quality level at something like base coast where you're where you're like hey like we're like 7,000 people yeah we're yeah. like we're rocking out cocktails and that's the thing is like you know we've all been to those events where you're like oh cool like there's a vendor that I really like pouring at this event and then you're getting this stuff and you're like this is absolutely not what they do what the, what the heck is this <laughs> product that I'm getting 
that is yeah. not living up to expectations. But any event that I've been to that you have done the curation for, you're like, yes, no, we're still going to deliver that level of quality regardless of number of people, regardless of like, it, like there seems to be no constraint that people can put on you that you are not able to overcome. And I'm sure a lot of that is via negotiation and, and whatnot. Yeah. But like, what is your methodology for um, being able to deliver like really high quality product in, in, you know, large quantities, mm, I suppose. That's very sweet of you to say. Like, because oftentimes, you know, I think for you too, we're our own worst critic. You know, there's things that mm. don't turn out the way you want. And especially in the event world, man, like, you know, we're, you're setting up things outside, no water infrastructure, no power. Like, and sometimes <laughs> surprising. So you're like, oh, you told us there's power. It's like, no, we don't have the power. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you just make it work because the show must go on. Literally, there's like 200 people doors are about to open this is what people yeah. signed up for i think maybe there's for people that know me there's this like kind of beautiful chaos and people that really know me maybe it's not so beautiful but it's this chaos but um you know when you've run a small business like i have or like grew up in you kind of grow up within that chaos and when you try to do so much to survive but also just like just to also make customers happy i think there's probably there's probably something to do with kind of my my, the Korean background that kind of informs it a little bit but I don't know that that scale I just plan it in I just know that I'm not willing to and maybe this is the beauty of what Sugarwire has become is that we were never really willing to sacrifice serving just basic shit yeah. and not that basic shit is a bad thing but it's like well you know any any good bartender any bar you could hire any of them to do what do that but what makes us stand out and what makes me happy and what brings me joy is the seasonality of things so that you know our menus would change and there's things that are seasonal there's a seasonal aspect to the story of there's a time and a place that i love to kind of connect and so i guess like when something like a seven thousand person event we just plan around it we just plan like we're like we're not just a bar like think of us as a kitchen or like a just like we require prep so i'm like when i when i negotiate with the organizer like well i'm gonna show up at a certain amount of time this is kind of the infrastructure i need i'm gonna bring my own infrastructure mm-hmm. and this is the cost for it i've just learned enough to like this is how much i know that i'll need for labor this is how much staff i need to execute my vision yeah. so if as long as they're down for it and something like base coast i actually don't make as much money as i do but the exposure is amazing the experience is really incredible for totally. myself and my staff and for everything so yeah like from all the photos your staff were having a great time. i know <laughs> i might not have been having as great of a time but i i you know i i understand in the moment it's not it's not like it's a bad time the experience or anything like that it's just like when i'm in work mode i'm just kind of i try to be as like I kind of like, I'm yeah. not there necessarily to have fun. Maybe this is a, my own, this is a one thing that I'll, you know, overcome later on. But I still, I don't want to change it because I look back and I'm so proud. So even yeah. in the moment, you, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of stressed at all times. And I want to make things perfect as much as possible. Not just for our guests and not just for our clients, but for my staff or for the people that you have to work with. And like, you know, for anyone who does service and restaurants and bars like you know you those are that's your backbone we're a people business we're like we're we're in the we're in the business of providing great service and 
You know, if you're going to run a business, you can't be there 24-7. You can't be the one to do everything. So you really, to scale it, you need to create a culture. And that's like, you know, these are, you know, taboo, or not taboo, but like kind of these buzzwords. But really, that's what we try to create. I would say we, I, I hope, you know, from what I hear, we pay, you know, we pay really well. Um, we, we charge more for our service. There's a lot of these things that I was, you know, for a while, like maybe I charged less and sacrificed, you know, paying myself to pay others or to like, just to do the thing to like test it out. Yeah. But I feel very blessed now. Like, you know, of course there's certain things like a base coast or some, some other opportunities where as a person and as a member of the community, I'm like, I just want to be involved. I want to support yeah. you as a business. I want to support you as a not-for-profit. I want to do these things for like contemporary Calgary or like, you know, these art institutions or for these not-for-profits or like, you know, in the past working for Glenbow or like these things that weren't as much about money, but in the future it did become, it was beneficial to me. I think yeah. if you look at your business holistically, um, you just showing up in that way, just bringing your best self always, no matter what your payback was, as long as I cover my costs, I'm like, fuck it. Like yeah. I can live a little bit in squalor, you know, yeah. <laughs> totally. at different times. Of my life. I'm this pretty yeah. simple guy. Um, but yeah, showing up in the way that you want it, people see that, you know, they, they didn't pay the bill, so they don't actually know, but they're, they're, they might be willing, they'll definitely be willing to kind of reach out and be like, Hey, can you do my daughter's engagement? Or can you do this thing? Or can you come yeah. to my company's office? And that's where we make our money mm-hmm. is during the private events and all those public things that people see. Those are things that I've kind of calculated, negotiated in my mind and just like pay my staff their rate. I'm not going to pay them any less than their $25 to $30, $35 yeah. an hour you know, plus. And as long as they do that, I'm kind of willing to take trades. You know, it's like kind of this barter system. It's like kind of what being like community totally. is like, you know, recently did an event with Sheringham. It's like I got product in return, which we'll use, well, which is cash essentially, which I could flip into cash. Yeah. turn into more cash by turning into a value added cocktail yeah and then i'm gonna go to like they're gonna bring me to seattle and i'm gonna go they're, they're gonna you know and we're gonna, they're gonna have this experience and they're they're kind of a new sponsor for the hockey team there oh um, nice wow. and so like they're gonna take me to a game and do all these things and i was like yeah that's worth just as much to me if yeah. not more Totally. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you're like, I don't need money. I need the things that I use money to buy. Yeah, like, I need that's the, yeah, that's the, the things, things that make me happy. If I can skip the money part of it, I would and I, like I would do everything for trades. Yeah, if oh, I could. Hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah. I still do that for like my team, my staff, like because I'm, I am a small business still. So yeah, the thing that's gonna allow me to keep people, or even like when they're, you know, when, you know, they're like way beyond serving and bartending. That's the funny thing about, I think, a lot of our staff is like, they don't even serve and bartend anymore. They yeah. used to be prevalent totally. servers and bartenders. Yeah. But now they're like, they do their own thing, but they come and do Shinoir events because, you know, it's not always about money, but hopefully in my eyes, what I try to do is like, they have an amazing experience and I give back in, uh, you know, in the products, like whether they could have some nice drinks yep. before or after, or I, you know, invite them to things or experiences, or I give them... You know, I, I'm very generous with the food when we're serving or like, you know, totally. just trying to really make a community and we get to try yeah, it. Yeah, taste it and like get to like experience something special. And then at the yeah. end of the night, you know, I just like, I'm always trying to like, you know, find creative ways to give back to my staff or, totally. or my team or the people that I get to work with. Yeah. I even hate the word staff, but you know, the people that support me. So yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, jumping into our final wine here, uh, <laughs> we got Louis Anton Lut. Uh, this is uh, their Pepeño. Uh, this is uh, a crazy wine from Chile. Uh, this is from Mole. Uh, yeah, <laughs> as as Kio uh, chugs I, the back the last sip. Yeah, exactly. Like full full, full dance party vibes over here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is uh, this is from Mole. Uh, so the southern part of Chile. Um, this is made from Pai. Uh, Pai is the, the first grape variety to ever be planted in the Americas, um, planted hundreds of years ago. Um, this grape variety is very light in color, um, but tends to yield wines that have, you know, a little bit of alcohol, a little bit of body. Um, it's, it's often used to make sort of like rosés now. So even though this is the lightest wine, it's actually the fullest in body, technically speaking, from an alcohol perspective. It's like 13.3% alcohol versus the other two were, were both 12, five and under. Um, and uh, this is using like really traditional methods from super old vines. The youngest vines in this are like 200 years old. Uh, in France, you'd be lucky to find vines that are like sort of like 80 to 100 years old. Really? Let alone. In France? Oh yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So Chile is really lucky that, that they have some of these like super, super old vines, which is really, really rad. Um, these grapes are all destemmed using uh, the Zorana method, which is like this really old school way of taking whole clusters of grapes and then using this kind of like reed mat um, that kind of forms this, um, I don't know, like lattice work. And then when you work the stems back and forth on it, uh, the grapes fall through the little holes in the lattice work. And then you can just like chuck the stems and keep all the, all the grapes. Um, and so they're, they're still using this like hand method, uh, which is really rad. Um, this is planted on uh, a combination of different soils. We have granites, we have clays, um, we have limestone, we have a little bit of everything uh, kind of in this area of the world. Uh, for me, the granites are definitely the most exciting of the area. They, they offer this uh, smoky kind of peppery characteristic to it. Um, but yeah, absolutely really thrilling wine. Last year, the wine was like way kind of darker, more fruit driven. This year it's like really peppery and floral really and peppery. kind of like, uh, like blood orange juice and like really these kind of citrusy notes that you don't normally expect oh, off of red wine. It is. And I, you know, people probably know me. This is, it's ethereal, but it's, yeah. it's, it's like, it's so bright. It's so Peppery is great way. The citrus notes, it reminds me of rind. And we had a bunch of things like with rind. Yeah. We were discussing the importance of rind in cocktails. But um, wow. I love those, the spectrum of these three wines. This one by far is tasting, considering it's more alcohol, this is... It tastes the lightest. It tastes the lightest. Yeah, somehow, yeah, at the highest percentage of alcohol, it somehow tastes the lightest. And it's also in a one liter bottle. For all of these are uh, that are at home, Perfect. so this is uh, you know extra bang for buck this month. <laughs> and got, you know, a little What's bit the price of wine. Uh, this is like thirty bucks. Okay, wow, it's ridiculous, right? Yeah, that's on the shelf, right? On the shelf. Wow, thirty dollars wow, wow. one liter for bottle. One liter of just like absolutely joyous. Yeah, this is, this is a great uh, day drinker. Fine. Oh, day yeah. or food? You know? Yeah, actually, they all they all are. Too. Yeah, all really food friendly yeah. for sure. Uh, cool. Okay. So I saved this for last cause I, I think it's maybe the, the most interesting, but, um, you, it's, you know, having been out for cocktails with you many times over, 
uh, you are a harsh critic of cocktails. You judge competitions, and not only that, but you judge your own cocktails uh, before you decide to release them. And so my thought is maybe you can kind of give us like what your rubric is of uh, for uh, deciding whether a cocktail is worth you releasing on your menu and how people at home should go about trying to attain the qualities that you look for, whether that be balance, complexity, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so maybe kind of give us your rundown on like what makes a good cocktail and then how do you try and achieve that? Well, you know, first and foremost, Which is Eric, I try not to be an <laughs> asshole about it. I'm very, it's, it's just like, it's, it, it is my process. It is like, it's just like, I try to make it as scientific as possible in terms of the in, in terms of the balance, but ultimately it comes from it is a it's so subjective, but ultimately for it just has to be you know if there's a level of acidity or bitterness there has to be a, a nice balance of it. If there's you know in terms of flavor pairings, whether you it's a scientific you, re, you read up on it or whatever, it's just like you know people know like. Does this go together? Sometimes you're shocked at what goes together. And those are the ones that are always the exceptional ones. It's the ones that surprise you. You're like, whoa. Totally. Like we had a, we had a moment to, today even that was just like, whoa. Like this. And I was telling Eric, like rarely when we start off making cocktails, do you find something that just like kind of lights you up like that? It's like maybe like 10 to 20% of the time. And the rest, like you make something good about 50% of the time. And the other percent is like, ah, this is a good idea, but it needs more. It either needs a different product or whatever it is. And you just like scale that away for later. But in terms of the balance of things that, you know, I'm so lucky. I had so many amazing staff. But for me personally, when it comes to tasting things, you know, it's having body and sweetness. I don't shy away from sweetness i think a lot of people do i think there's this like oh i don't and i i hear about it for so much and it's fair i don't like it too sweet no one no one does i don't like it too sweet either um but it's it's a balance it needs to be sweet or it's just booze and you actually don't taste anything and you actually lose a lot of the beauty of you know and we were talking about this actually which is is funny enough it's a good example an old-fashioned a great old-fashioned accentuates the nature of bourbon and great creates a body that cuts all the edges of just straight spirit so i don't drink old fashions eric doesn't really drink old fashions i choose to like just use dilution as my form or water as my form of cutting the edges of bourbon diluting it so it's like so i could taste the whiskey but in everything it's like sweetness is a big component so you know i'm Everyone always asks, like, you know, a lot of people don't know what sugar water is about or whatever. Or early on in events, like, oh, I just don't like it too sweet. But eventually they'll just love our cocktail because it's, it's a level of sweetness, acidity, um, and then tasting what it's supposed to be. I think, mm-hmm. you know, a big thing for me too is like, uh, like even what we were talking about here before, and I think I mentioned a couple of times, the concepts. Like, what are we trying to achieve when we're using a certain product? And why are we even using the product if we can't taste the product? Maybe the, maybe that is the role. It, like it does something for the drink, but um, yeah, it, it is it is quite simple. It's like is it is it interesting or is it is it balance? Is it balance in the sweetness? Is it balance? Can I taste the base spirit? Yes. If it's supposed to be a tequila drink, can I taste the interesting agave and the vegetal notes of agave and the the this, the intricacies of that spirit? Can I taste that it is bourbon? Mm-hmm. Like that's that that is one because I think that is that is important because otherwise we're just having kind of, you know, this, a, a nondescript 
kind of just yeah. sweet sour mix. Maybe it's tasty, you know, and that's you know that's and that's that's important too. But you know, for me, the, that next step of interesting is is it true to its form? Is it does it accentuate the ingredients that you're using? And and then it's it's quite simple. It's it's the balance. Does it make sense in my mind? It does it make sense on my palate? And then otherwise, I'm pretty. I'm, I I wouldn't say I'm a harsh. I would say harsh is the right word. I, I try to just like, I just bring that tasting quality to like everything I do. And I will, mm-hmm. and interesting enough, I think it's very beneficial. I hope that I'm being beneficial, but when I'm at the bar and a lot of the times, funny enough, one of the things that I, I like to do, like say some somewhere like proof that has a lot of competition bartenders that they'll taste me on their competition drinks. And I'm totally, you know, and for myself and for them, as a friend, like I'll tell them the truth. Do I think this is balanced? Do I understand what's going on here? What are you trying to do? Like, do I even taste it? So it's like, okay, well, as a judge, and I don't, and honestly, I, I haven't, like, I've judged a few things, luckily, um, but I just, honestly, we don't have, I don't have time to like go to all the cocktail comps that I want to. Yeah. And, um, and I, it's funny enough, I think sugar water kind of exists in periphery to the main spirit industry and yeah in, the, in calgary at least funny enough I, when i go to bc or when i travel like i get i get involved with all the reps and stuff but in calgary like in terms of the bars and the bartender scene i mean i think i'm kind of viewed as a little bit of an outsider and that's okay because we're doing something very niche and mm-hmm. we're not technically a cocktail bar but you know i just try to be as honest as i can be in all things and with you know with joy i'm not like killing people you know this is yeah. trash. this is trash like, yeah <laughs> but it's like you know if because i want it to be constructive for myself as well mm-hmm. and for the people i'm with it's like this is just kind of the and i'm and i'm a high disclosure person as is but i find that it's helped people that i work with and people that ask me a question i'm like well you know if you're gonna ask me so oh it's good and I'm like, fuck, that's the that's weakest ass answer. Like, yeah, <laughs> n- you know, nice and good is the bare minimum. And it is, it's, it's, yeah. there's zero help in that. It's like, no, what are you getting? Like, does it need a touch more of this? I'm like, maybe like, even just like the thought, I'm like, it might be this. I, I say might a lot and maybe this, because I don't, I'm not, I don't try to pretend like I'm an expert. There's no absolutes. So I'm like, and it seems to be hard to tell, like, even just in the things that we tasted earlier today where you're like i'm gonna add a little bit more of this and i was like that seems counterintuitive and then you do it and it would do the literal opposite of what i thought it was going to do like when you added more spirit and instead of making it taste more spirity it actually brought out the flavors of the other ingredient that was underperforming yeah and i was like well you obviously have more experience (laughs) here because i would have met i would have been like well we have to add more of that ingredient but it actually needs like a carrier more so than it needs more of that ingredient and that just comes i think of course like you said experience you're like you literally like i brought an entire bar to your house because you have you don't drink cocktails you go out for or you drink cocktails you don't I make drink cocktails, cocktails. Yeah, you exactly. don't you don't go out for cocktails and i called eric earlier i'm like do you have these like bait do you have campari yeah do you have campari? everyone who loves like, coffee no. should have campari it's like no i do That's, not I'm like yeah i should that, probably have campari no 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 you don't need to have anything you, you you're doing if Campari came in smaller bottles, I would have it. That's the thing like, with most things. If it came in smaller bottles, I think most people would have yeah, it. It's such like, a unique ingredient. I think people forget, too, that like things like vermouth, Campari, Amaro's, like 
you know, they, they're not, they don't have infinite shelf life. No, if you they want don't. Optimal quality. 100%. They will live forever in the sense that like, you're not going to die from drinking like a 30 year old bottle of Campari, but is it delivering you the flavor that you buy Campari for? Like, no, no. this is the biggest thing. Vermouth yeah. is the worst. Less, the less the sugar and less alcohol percentage. I know it's fortified. I know there's some, it's fortified in some way, but like refrigerate your vermouth for like, please, everybody. Yeah, like, totally. Like a fret, like, you know, from the bottle vermouth and, you know, one that's been sitting on your shelf for a year plus. I've had people yeah. like a year oh, plus, yeah. like it's bad. Yeah, like in like it's, hot temperatures. It's a like wine. A bottle, it is a wine. You would never do that to your wine. A bottle of Noily Pratt that sat for a year in somebody's like hot cupboard is literally the most offensive tasting thing oh, on man. planet Earth. Probably. But people like, just assume that that's the norm. Because yeah, bars, they saw their grandmothers because bar and restaurants do it too. And, you know, okay, everyone's doing the best with the knowledge they have. Okay, this is, the, that is one of my pet peeves. But coming back to like the balance of things we don't need to shit on everybody but it is it is quite simple is it balance first and foremost and then tell me about what you're trying to do or what am i getting the experience of does it fit the occasion you know mm-hmm. does it fit the client so for me it's a little bit more subjective than it is objective it's like i'll try to take into account like hey am i in a mexican restaurant or what are they trying to do in this space what are they trying to achieve is this drink, you know, you know, as a sparkling drink, or where does it sit on the menu? Where does it sit in the balance of a of a meal? Where does it, you know, there's all these things that I think just become a Rolodex that I'm kind of used to thinking of, but ultimately it does balance first and foremost, easy. You know, I've been lucky to, you know, like I said, like some of the people that I've worked with, you know, uh, they've informed it. I because. Personally, like I've worked at a lot of the restaurants and I've worked at my own family things and a lot of events, but I'm mm-hmm. not a, I'm not a, like a bar bartender. I've never, yeah. like I've done like pop-ups at bars and some of the best bars in Calgary and some great totally. bars in Victoria, Vancouver. And luckily it's just from my own, the fact that I've done it so much, but I've never worked there. I've never mm-hmm. like been a staff member. I've always worked for myself, which I don't know if that might, you know, inform people about my own personality, but it's, um, yeah, it's quite it's quite simple in that. And then I think about the other things to really take it to the next level. Like yeah. if, if it's like, is this a good drink? Yeah, great. Is it a classic daiquiri? And you just you use fresh lime juice and it's not like, you know, it's, it hasn't sat too long and it's changed the acidity and have you tasted it? So if it has changed the acidity, maybe you reduce a little bit of the sour. Like it's so interesting. That's why for my events, for most people who don't know, we pre-batch all our drinks. Yeah. Now. And, you know, as much as we can. And that's because it's just like, you know, when you're making a drink in the two ounce, one ounce, quarter ounce bar spoon portion or one drop of a bitter, the margin for is so much greater. And Mm. like, even we played around today of like, you know, one drop versus two drops of bitter. It like literally was game changer. And then five drops of two, like made no difference and kind of didn't didn't work. Totally. So it's, and I feel for like businesses, uh, you know, and for new staff, staff, I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm very, I'm critical, but Mm -hmm. I'm also very empathetic in everyone's situation. So I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to write, I never write that. I would never write a bad review. Only people I know and trust what I tell them like, Hey, I was confused by this food experience or beverage experience because chefs yeah. will come and ask me and um and i feel like you know hopefully they ask me because i'm being honest in that sense but i'm just doing it for my own sake is like you know if i care about these people or if i you know care about my the word that comes out of my mouth that i better be honest 
whether I'm wrong or not, I'm like, take it for a grain of salt. This is what I'm experiencing. And I always, I like to preface like, and it could be because, you know, I just, I had this or I had this drink and it, it's gonna, everything affects. That's what's so beautiful about food and beverage. Totally. Every, you know, the, the time of day, the, you know, the stress we had last night or this yeah. morning or, you know, wherever we're at, like it's all going to affect and everything is right time and place. And that's why I like to add those. I like, well, it's like, what are you trying to achieve? What's the situation? And, you know, that's kind of the esoteric nature. People who know me kind of think, know me and think of me as kind of like a hippy dippy kind of guy who talks yeah. pretty <laughs> esoterically and, and uh, philosophically. And, but it is, it is how I view the world. So I'm going to honor how I view the world and I'm just going to lean into it a little bit and just like, that's how, I think that's where Shinoir gains success. Like wherever we're at, I'm going to try to think of time, think of place, think of people. Just try to think of as many things as possible. Even today when, you know, when we're doing our little, like I'm doing this people we love feature and trying to make cocktails with people that I, I admire or people that are in my community as sugar water. You know, I was asking Eric about his, you know, his favorite color, his favorite, his, um, his sign, like things like that. It's like whether they're super minimal, they do inform little things. Mm-hmm. And when you build up a lot of little things, you kind of create something that, you know, you just want to bring someone joy. So if someone were to tell me something, I was like, okay, well, it might not be the, the thing. Like I'm not making an Aquarius cocktail, but it's like, I just want to, hey, that cocktail is the most Aquarius cocktail. Okay, cool, cool, time. cool. Well, that's good. <laughs> like sometimes you hit on those things and, um, but yeah, it's like, it's all those elements. When I think of uh, someone like a client or someone I'm working with or a customer, you know, it's all those little things that you just like, Hey, do you, you know, sometimes people will ask, like when they say, I don't like it. So I was like, well, let me reduce it a bit. And then I'll, I always leave it open to like, it's like, and I'm like, try it, try it in front of me. And I could always change it right now. Yeah. It's like a very small thing. Here's a touch of simple syrup more or not simple, but the cane sugar syrup more, a touch of acid more, a little more soda. Yeah. And those are just tiny touches that if you just ask the question, like it's quite easy. You can't Absolutely. always do it, but it's like, it helps. Okay, so this question is like now burning a hole in my brain. Okay. okay. Uh, so I feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like as far as simplicity and like talking about, um, I don't know, I guess as, as far as uh, as basic as things can go, uh, you know, we talked about old fashions on the brown spirit side of things and, yeah. and how... Uh, that sweetness, uh, that's the thing that you're, you're doing to sort of maybe balance a whiskey or, or make its characteristics easier to discover for like certain people and then enhancing it maybe with, with bitters. Um, I feel like a martini is like kind of the white spirits equivalent oh, yeah. of that where like you're essentially dealing with like 2.5 ingredients, like you're doing yeah. like two ingredients plus a garnish. Yeah. Um, And I really liked your comment about like not being afraid of sweetness. And I think that, you know, at least in my experience, a lot of people are like kind of afraid of sweetness when it comes to something like a martini versus like, I am a very like vermouth, like forward kind of martini drinker. Uh, There's a reason why a perfect martini is, and this is prevalent in the, in the, in globally in the industry is equal parts gin and vermouth. Really? That is a perfect martini. Wow, that is and no see, one in my brain like that. 
well, that's that a name at least. Yeah, totally. It's delicious. It sounds, yeah, it sounds it sounds very delicious. I could be. I'm, um, I'm I'm a little drunk at this point. We've been doing a lot of drinking, but I'm almost certain that that's the case. Yeah. And there's like you know there's ways you could reverse it. You know you could do like two parts vermouth, one part gin yeah. instead of the Cause opposite. I, yeah, because that's the thing is like I often really like a like a sweet white vermouth is a really interesting characteristic to have in a martini. Like the. Um, What's that crazy Australian? Uh, oh God! Like, uh, they, they're no longer um, they're uh, no longer on the shelves. But no? they were they were they were so prevalent. That's gonna piss me off. Yeah. Anyways, like that sweet white vermouth was one of the most interesting th- things I've ever had, and like that as a component in a martini was just like completely mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you have uh, like vespers, like yeah, uh, Le Blanc. Yeah, like yeah, Le Blanc, it's like. like yeah it's a sweeter aromatized wine french style and it's really not bitter in any way other than it's more citrus bitter more like absolutely yes more rindy yeah and so it's i think that and and this is something again like shout out to my business partner mark uh is he is currently and, and maybe he's discovered it already, but he's like, I want to know what style of martini I like. And so I'm going to have a lot of different types of martinis. And I'm going to ask bartenders, like, be like, make me like a martini that you would like to drink or that you think is interesting. And he's had like a bunch of different styles, like more vermouth, less vermouth, sweet white vermouth, dry white vermouth, uh, gin, vodka, uh, you know, a lot of different manipulations, a lot of different garnishes, whether you're going citrus, whether you're going something more savory. I admittedly like uh, Gibson vibes. Uh, yeah, like an onion. So it's like, little, oh, yeah, little yeah, onion yeah, in yeah, there. Mm, like, real yeah. nice. Um, yeah, but agree. honestly, it's like, it's, uh, so I, I like your comment about not being afraid of sweetness when it comes to cocktails. Um because provided it's balanced, it it works and it carries flavor and rounds out bitterness and all, all these different things. So, yeah. um, so what's my martini? <laughs> yeah, what is your what, martini? I, I love martinis. You know, and old fashions actually. This 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 is probably something I did not really speak to, but God, like that's and this is something that I love. That's why this is the golden age. There's so many producers, so many products, so many variations of the same producer and same product. Cast strength. Um, there, some people are now going to vintages. Some people are now going like, you know, um, different styles, different, different finishes, finishes yeah, oak totally. finishes, sherry cask and port cask. Like it's insane. So like, man, and people are like, what's your go-to cocktail? People ask me and I, I, I every time I'll say like, I'm, I do, I promise you I do not have one. Yeah. I like certain styles. I like certain things that are flavorful, like big and punchy, like sours and things that generally are on top with sodas or whatever but i see the place in them sometimes there's a reason like as long as there's a reason mm-hmm. you know it's not just to like kill the flavor but maybe there's some strong aspects of certain things that require just a touch of soda or just a touch of sparkling mm-hmm. but same thing with martini oh my god there's the, the different styles of vermouth french vermouths australian vermouths italian vermouths like yeah they're so different and like there's certain white vermouths that like there's a spectrum of like white to dry that are just like it's just like mind-blowingly different and then reds even the sweet vermouths of like you know sherry based to like the french um italian it's it's insane span of course like all like the the typical and then you get the now north american variations thereof yeah. of like time and place or terroir and so like oh my god it's so 
it's that's why you know early sugar water was just like kind of exploring like those specific products because actually mm. like the different gin will make will yield such a different result with a different vermouth and especially if it's like a fresh vermouth so um i i what do you, what was your question again i told totally, i don't even know anymore I, it's, it's, my, but yeah. like that it's like that's the <laughs> that's the part of i guess the, the discussion that we're having and then in terms of the vermouth yeah this you were talking about kind of the thing that you the the comment i made about the sweetness but yeah there's there's a perfect for a time and a place and sometimes yeah. i want a little more sweetness sometimes i want to fuck you gibson with a little bit more like a like gin and some you know and maybe some of that pearl onion uh fucking liquid liquid <laughs> yeah. in there like a dirty gibson yeah sometimes i want to and sometimes for the experience sake i just want to taste like what like what can you do with this how can we make a floral does it work yeah. so that and i guess that comes back to your previous question does it work one is it balanced and if you're trying to go for something that's floral that but it's a gibson but it's like a dirty yeah. martini and it's using a certain ver vermouth or gin have you thought about it have you tasted it one because you know yeah you know, I, I, I get it. Like a lot of staff, like they don't, they, they might be interested, but they don't get the support they need. And it's hard because especially now more than ever. And are they given the opportunity to be experimental? Like, and a lot of times I think maybe this is just like, like a boomer me or like, um, like old man Keel on the porch, but like, you know, so much and people are afraid to fail. Like yeah. people feel so judged about it. they're so apologetic it's not just a Canadian thing they're like apologize about everything but it's like they're not even willing to try like and like even today it's like for the sake of it people would probably there's certain people that just would probably be and people who still are who get wide out like why would you ruin this like I thought we found something it's like I'm for me I'm just trying to find the edge I just want like I want to know what my limit is and then like okay can I can can we keep adding more? It's kind of like a science experiment. Totally. Can we keep adding more and, until the point is like, and then we're like, no, this is ruined. But now I know. Yeah. Now I know. And I will write it down in my notes. Okay. This was too much. This is the, a good balance. This doesn't work quite yet. We'll find it there. But there's this idea of like, hey, and I tell this to people, I'm like, I'm down to try whatever. And, I'm, and some people look at me like, wow, like, let me just, and they'll go with something safe. And I'm like, literally just like, if you want to try something, I'm happy I because part of my joy it's not it's not an ego thing it's like part of my joy is just that conversation with the bartender or a server I'm like oh it's like okay let's talk about it. you want to have a discussion with me that's even better because actually most of the time yeah. I go by myself because it's often after work and I just like I just want some peace and quiet because my work is so social and people think I'm like kind of a social person and I like to go out once you know and I do like to go but it's generally by myself and I like to you know and even when I'm by myself, at least that's in the comfort of my own boundaries where I could, I'm still by myself. So even when I do engage with a lot of people, I still can just leave whenever the fuck I want. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like that. So, you know, and speaking with like that balance of things and sweetness, it's just like, it's a time and a place, which is so esoteric, it's so subjective, but it's, it really is, I think, true. 
I say the same thing too. Like when people are like, what's your favorite wine of all time? I was like, if I'm sitting on the beach, I'm not going to want a bottle of Syrah. Yeah. 100%. I'm like, that, that sounds like a zero out of 10 experience. Exactly. Versus like be cold that, as fuck. Yeah. And exactly. Give me, that like a cocktail. Yeah, give me that $12 bottle of Rosé. Like that would literally taste better than the $1,000 bottle of Syrah. Exactly. If I'm sitting exactly. on the beach. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's all, it's all, you know, time related. So uh, speaking of time related, oh, we we've been raging for a while here, so I, I feel like we'll probably wrap it up. Um, the uh, I guess like the the final question is this will get released probably November first, and so the question is where can people find you in like November December? Is there things that people should be doing in November December that um, will involve you? I hope I always try to like leave open, especially in the past year or at least well in the past like six months. Whenever things popped up, whenever my industry, whenever our industry kind of came back, or whenever people <laughs> had to have events again, I do my best to do some stuff in partnership with other businesses. Do pop ups. I try to do fun things just for my own sake, but also to just you know create community, hang out with people I, I support or like that I really enjoy hanging out with or what they're doing. Um, you know, you could find us regularly at uh, Contemporary Calgary. They will do some, we'll do the audit. They'll always have us for events. They're amazing there. They're really lovely people and the space is beautiful. The old Calgary uh, Science Center. And otherwise, truly November, December is like just like Christmas party time. This yeah. is when we make money, honestly. Yeah. Like it's like we're doing like Seven, you know, five, seven, eight events a week. You know, two to three events a night on like the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. At least some of these days. So, you know, I would say look out or just like you know follow us on Instagram. Like we're our team. Like I've, I've luckily have we kind of gotten back to a good team and I have some amazing creatives there and that are super inspiring and they'll like you know Eric we were talking about this earlier like some photographers and. And we try, and I've been trying to do more fun things, and slowly put out more stuff to share with other people, and to, and more so not just for our own sake, but you know, to share the gifts of my team and the people that I support. So, I know it's always tough because my the the schedule always changes. There's always yeah. last minute <laughs> opportunities. There's always things that I'll just kind of take on. And but if people have any questions, I'm, I'm a pretty open book. They just send me a message, and I'll let them know what's good and they see me at a bar or they see my face at a bar come say hi absolutely yeah sweet well we'll wrap it up there uh thanks to everybody for listening today thank you uh, if anybody has any additional <laughs> questions about any of the wines you can send me an email my email address is eric e-r-i-k at juiceimports.com you can also send us a message on instagram we're just at juice imports uh and we'll include uh kyo's uh, instagram in the write-up um but yeah thank you so much for being here today uh it was an absolute blast thank you for feeding me cocktails before this got started it made for an animated discussion said, but i thought we'd be done at three i looked down my phone's 4 12 I would. <laughs> we, we both looked at each other like bug eye like oh shit yeah this is this seems to be how this happens uh anyways we'll chat with y'all next month